Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. Well, today we have a different episode to share with you. I'm excited. I have a new book that's just been released. It's called Working It Out, Getting Ready for the Redefined World of Work. It's something I've been working on myself for a while. I'm an economist and a futurist, but I'm also someone who's been informed by this podcast, informed by being a keynote speaker and being in front of audiences the last few years. And I wanted to put it all together because I think we're at a turning point in economic history, honestly, a turning point in the future of work. And we're looking at these mega trends, we're looking at technology. We have a lot of challenges and it's a good time to take stock of where we're going and how to be ready for it. Now, obviously I couldn't talk to myself about the book. So I thought really hard about who I'd like to speak with. And I came up with Bridget Anderson. Now, Bridget is the president and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. She's also a friend. We go back quite a long ways. We were both on business television together. And I knew I wanted to speak to Bridget because she cares about these issues. She's close to them. She's gone on to a lot of leadership positions, most recently with the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. And you know, she has a stake in this. So I thought this is who I want to have asking the questions. So we had a great discussion, an interview and a chance to talk about you know, a lot of the things that are going on and why we should care and where should we going with this. It was a privilege and I thought it was a great use of my time. So please stay with us to hear this. Well, my new book, Working It Out, Getting Ready for the Redefined World of Work is now out. And to talk about that, I'm actually going to throw now to Bridget Anderson. Bridget is president and CEO of the Vancouver Board of Trade. Bridget, thank you so much for doing this. Linda, it is a, a real pleasure to, to be here with you. You know, we have known each other for, I was doing the math <laughs> a couple of days ago, and it's close to, let's just say it's been 15 years or so. We worked together and so I am, I know, I'm very familiar with your extensive background as an economist, an expert in the labor market. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade hosted you in the fall to talk about the labor market and what's happening. I'm so delighted to see this new book of yours that's out. So given your background and your experience, what kind of perspective does this give you when you're looking at the future of work? You know, you mentioned how long we've known each other. I guess I've been looking at the economy for even longer than that, um, several cycles now. And a lot of the things that were just starting to take shape maybe five or 10 years ago are now really hitting us in a big way. The pandemic, I think, accelerated everything, but you know, technology is changing so much. Uh, the demographic issues we worried about, the lack of workers now really hitting us. And we're at a point where we can make some decisions as to what we do next. And I know you're really familiar with this from your position. You know, you hear from business all the time. They want to know, you know, what should their next step be and what can they afford to do? And that's what I wanted to address with this book. What are the big trends that we are seeing and where should we be going from here? And as you said, my background 
as an economist is really serving me well as a look at this, because at one point I just looked at the, the markets and the economics of it. But over time, I realized I have to look much more at the demographics, at how people feel about things, even the softer issues around management, because that's what's shaping things now. Well, you know, it is um, somewhat comforting to hear you say this from your expertise because, you know, sitting back from my position, it does feel like things have radically shifted over the last, I guess, since the pandemic. So you're saying that a lot of it is connected to demographics, though. Um, Maybe you can dig into that a little bit more. Sure. I mean, we've known for a long time that the population in Canada and the U.S. and Europe really aging quickly in all those places and other places too, even Asia, which we think of as being younger. There were baby booms that happened post-war, but there was also a boom of a sort, you know, around 2000 or in in the 80s and 90s, rather kind of ended by 2000 with the millennials. And we are getting to a point where the retirements are happening really quickly. We don't have as many people streaming in, willing to work. Uh, We can talk about willingness a little bit more, uh, but not enough bodies anyway. And this is a different experience for for employers, different experience for job seekers too. We have the unemployment rate now in Canada and the U.S. at a generational low. There aren't that many people. And that's something, you know, we knew was going to happen just by, you know, baby boomer retirements and the like, but now it's really hitting us. And you know, is it really that the pandemic radically shifted things? I look back to your previous book, um, Work is Not a Place, and now this new book, Working It Out, seems to be building on some of the theses that you had in that previous book. So what really caused this, this big change that you're seeing? I mean, yes, you're talking about a big wave of retirement and demographics, but was the real game changer the pandemic? You know, that's an excellent question. I think we all have to ask ourselves, how much have we changed because of the <laughs> pandemic, right? I mean, even, even when you look at younger people, um, their lives changed so radically. Maybe it's okay to work at home when you're in your 40s or 50s. When you're in your 20s, that's a, a big ask to see, not see people. So I, I think at the end of it, you have to say people don't feel the same way about things. But in terms of actual organizations, I think it would have taken them a long time to change if we hadn't had this, the pandemic. I mean, in terms of technology, uh, you had lots of shifts happening, but they had to happen more quickly. In terms of letting people work from home or work from wherever, we were seeing a little bit of that, uh, but you wouldn't have had this great experiment around it if it wasn't for the pandemic. So now we're not necessarily going to keep all those shifts in place. I mean, the whole working at home thing is obviously up for debate, but we tried it and that was pretty radical. So let's leave that thought for a minute about remote working because that's a big one. I want to maybe start at a higher level. Um, You've talked about some of the other big trends, so the retirement, the pandemic, but what are some of the other big trends you're seeing then? Well, there's a a couple. One is climate change. And, you know, that's something I didn't even used to talk about when I did presentations. I'd be out in front of groups and say, yeah, we have to be aware of population. We have to be aware of technology. But I didn't really want to touch climate. I thought that's not my expertise. And then I realized it is something I have to understand and I have to look at in the context of work. Because the fact that everything is getting warmer, every country is getting warmer, 
is going to impact on workplaces. Uh, we're going to see more weather events. We are going to see a lot of occupations be impacted. If you're a police officer, we know that you don't make as many stops in hot weather. If you're a food inspector, you don't make as many stops in hot weather. Uh, we know real estate valuations change. We know the travel industry has to change. And that's without even getting to the industries that are, are directly in the line of this, like energy. Uh, so this is going to be a really different world. And when you talk about the workplace, I think uh, companies are going to be asked to show their carbon footprint, either because of regulation or because job seekers want to know that. And part of that might be um, how they light the office, how they warm the building, but also how many how many air miles are being collected? How much are people flying? How many miles are they driving to get to work? So there's a lot of parts to this that really impact the workplace. You know, and here in Vancouver, we certainly saw the impacts of climate change about a year ago at that really enormous atmospheric river that completely destroyed supply chains and really isolated uh, the lower mainland from the rest of the country. So I, I do agree that climate change is something that is on a lot more uh, business people, uh, their minds, and a lot of organizations as well. And I guess that does tie into remote work because for some people, and maybe more for younger people, that is one of the benefits of remote working is that they are reducing their footprint. Absolutely. Uh, I think we have to think about that more and more. I mean, even the infrastructure issue is part of this. How much do we want to put into this and how do we want our highways to look? But yeah, just in terms of, you know, where we work, this is really key. And if you talk to younger workers, and as I know you do, you know, it's something they're aware of. They look at companies and now they have the luxury, perhaps, of choosing which companies to go to and say, you know, what are your values? Are you aware of climate change? Uh, what are you doing about it? And that's uh, something that you know managers perhaps didn't think about in the past, but something they will have to think about in future. Now, how am I selling this company in terms of our, our carbon footprint? Values. Uh, interesting you mentioned that because you know back in the day when we were choosing our our careers and choosing our employers. I'm not sure that values really was top of mind. You know, we thought a lot about maybe benefits or location of work mm -hmm. or, or a number of other things. Okay. But yeah. yeah, pay for sure. Uh, <laughs> values is really important to a lot of prospective employees now. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great that we're in this place where we're asking what a company does. I, and, you know, older workers might say this is something they always cared about, of course, uh, but maybe there wasn't the luxury of choice when we had a, an unemployment rate that wasn't a generational low. Uh, and I think it's it's a key thing. Now, people are a little bit different post-pandemic. We talk a lot about you know, post-traumatic stress, but there's also post-traumatic growth, where when you come through a traumatic event, whether it's a, a plane crash or um, an accident of any kind or a pandemic, you come out of it and say, well, what do I want to be different in my life? Should I go back to school? Should I give up on this relationship? And you want to make it somewhat better. And I think part of that is being in a place where you feel like your work matters, where you feel like your company's making good decisions. We can't always have a perfect world in terms of work, but I do think people are thinking about this a little bit harder and that's good. I think organizations are thinking about it too, but maybe we all need to think about it a little bit more. We are certainly hearing more about purpose-driven organizations yeah. and employees choosing organizations to work for that really have that front and center. But remote working doesn't 
it's not all sunshine and roses. Um, You know, as an employer, it is a challenge at times to kind of keep that social fabric um, of the organization as closely knit. And there are other challenges in trying to ensure that the culture continues um, with a lot of remote workers. So yeah. what are you seeing? I mean, how like how how much of an impact is that going to be on, on the business community? You know, there is a big gulf, right? We have workers who pretty much love this. Not everybody does, but it, survey after survey, people say, you know, I'll take a pay cut to not have to go back full time. And survey after survey, managers are, how do we get people back? Because mm-hmm. I want them back. So there's something to be bridged there. And it's going to take years. I, I think what we have now, hybrid, we're going to say two days a week, that's like a Band-Aid. It will not last in many companies. In some it will, but a lot of rethinking is going to happen. And you know, beyond that, the, the ask of managers is a lot. Really, nobody was trained to manage the kind of hybrid workforce we have now. They were trained to see who's coming in on time, to walk around, see who's working. You know, we had metrics and you're asking managers, organizations to do something different. So I think we owe it to everybody to uh, have better training, better metrics, a lot of patience, maybe, and open minds. And these things are all a lot to ask, but I, I think they'll happen. Experts like you have long talked about the productivity challenges we have in this country. Mm-hmm. So layering on some of the challenges with remote working, how do we solve that as, as, as a business community? I mean, how do we make sure that our employees are being productive when we don't really have line of sight like we used to? You know what? I think they are being productive, but you're right. That is the thinking that we can't see them. How do we know? Well, we have to judge by the work. Uh, We have to judge by the people we have and be comfortable that they feel valued. You know, it comes out again and again that it depends on the survey, but maybe 25% of workers tend say they're completely disengaged. They don't care. Those are not going to be productive people. So maybe it's not about, you know, seeing who's in on time or who's sitting at their desk, but who's happy. And that sounds simple, but we know that we have a lot of workers who aren't happy. We have a lot of toxic environments. Uh, we hear about quiet quitting, which is basically you know, working to rule. These are things that won't be solved by necessarily getting people back in the office. They might be made worse by that. So maybe we need to go about it a different way. Sure is a much more complex environment than it used to be. I mean, you talk about the quiet quitting and mental health being front and center and engagement. Not very many managers have been trained to deal with the complexity of issues that are now intertwined into the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're going to be asking even more of them, Bridget, because we haven't even talked about robots. Uh, That's even hearing that word makes some people nervous. Are we talking about robots? Are we talking about cobots who actually work with you? I mean, it's bad enough to work with some of your coworkers now. Uh, can you imagine <laughs> when it's a robot? Uh, so there's going to be a lot of things that people have to be willing to adjust to in terms of workers, uh, technology, in terms of work styles, in terms of you know maybe different work hours. It, we tend to say employees. I'm trying to tell myself to just say workers because it may not be people who are actually attached to the company long-term. There may be people who come in and out as a project needs them. And that is a challenge for management too. So it's a really different world than what we had, as you say, when we graduated, however however long ago. 
Yeah, just a, a little while ago. Um, <laughs> you've talked about this fourth industrial revolution, I guess, or uh, and really it's around technology. That is going to have a huge impact on the workplace. And, you know, in your book, Working It Out, how much did you dive into this? Well, I looked at the studies about job displacement, because that's what people want to know about. Uh, is a robot going to take my job? And, you know, in some cases, maybe, but maybe you'll get a better job. We know that we have jobs now, whether it's web designer or influencer or you know, jobs in tech that didn't exist 20 or 30 years ago. So things do change. Uh, we know some jobs get eliminated. We don't have elevator operators anymore, but we have full employment. So we will see a lot of that. What I think is going to be I'd say the bigger challenge, but a big challenge for every company is reskilling people because you aren't going to need the same skills you have now and you're going to need different ones. And it'll be a question for every organization, you know, given technology, how much do I invest in this? How much do I invest in training? How much will this help productivity? And there won't necessarily be easy answers or quick answers, but they can't really be avoided. We're going to see this happen. And I know people listen to this and say, well, you know, we've already had this happen. And we, now we have websites and we order online and we have robots. But I think we are only at the beginning of this. The speed of change is what distinguishes this industrial revolution from earlier ones. And we're probably in phase one of this. Phase two and three will happen over the next decade or so. That will be when we have the bigger changes. So I, I'm not looking for unemployment from this necessarily, but I am looking for uh, very different jobs and maybe very different work styles as companies you know, figure out the best models, which aren't necessarily the ones they have right now. You're right about the speed of change. It is um, breathtaking and somewhat daunting as well. And, and as an employer, how do we ensure that we are reskilling and upskilling our employees or workers, as you say, with the right tools and the right kind of skills needed for the future? Well, first of all, it takes a commitment to doing that because it's not free to reskill people. And there tends to be, you know, when you mentioned earlier, you, know, you can't see people, you know, if they're working, um, there tends to be a distrust of workers, a feeling that if I pay for your training, you may go somewhere else. So why should I pay for it? And I, I think we need to change our mindset around that too and say we're reskilling a workforce. We're reskilling a country. So maybe it shouldn't be just the organizations that pay for this. Maybe we should be looking for a bigger role from the public sector, uh, a different role from educational institutions. I mean, that's a whole question too. When you talk about reskilling, we used to think about going to university or college and then going to work. And we have to think now about continuously going back and getting more skills, not necessarily more qualifications, not necessarily a different degree, but just constant skills. And maybe we don't go back to uh, an actual college or university. Maybe we do this online because that's the most uh, effective way to do it, that you get training provided a different way. Um, and that's the idea of micro-credentialing, mm -hmm. which we're hearing a lot about. Yeah, absolutely. Micro-credentialing. But, you know, it is different because it used to be put on your resume, I went to this college, so you need to hire me because you obviously mm -hmm. know I'm, I'm great. And that may be totally relevant. I mean, some companies, more and more companies are now saying, you don't even need to have a degree. We just want to see the skills. And that's actually harder. It's easier to just have the rubber stamp than to continuously have the skills. So it's going to be on workers as well as on organizations to, to keep us ready for what's coming. 
I think you make a great point about a different kind of um, partnership or discussions happening between the public sector and post-secondary institutions and employers and maybe using labor data to to kind of um, give the insights about the skills that are needed and to do that in a different way. I mean, I guess um, traditionally a lot of post-secondary institutions have been slower to make sure that they've got the right programs in place. So now because of the acceleration of change is being able to kind of redefine that that agreement, I guess, between all three parties. Three and really four, because I think we can put workers in there too. Uh, and, Good point. Yeah, you know, that's, well, we're going to be responsible for some of our own training. Uh, government will help, education systems will help. If you're attached to a large organization, they will help, or maybe, you know, smaller ones will get into it. But it's going to be a lot of parts to this. Not not one easy solution to it as we go forward. But, you know, I, I believe it'll happen. I, I believe Canada's well-placed for this. At least we're having these conversations. And I know in, and Europe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And in working it out, I know it's a, a future look, but thinking about the immediate future, we are potentially looking at a recession, definitely a slowdown, a very tight labor market. So how, and, and, and employers are really, you know, struck with labor challenges right across the country and in many other countries. So how does that factor into this really um, vast change that you're seeing in the nature of work? That's a really good point, Bridget, because every time we have a slowdown, it seems like we forget about the bigger problems, right? You have the unemployment rate go up a couple of percentage points. It's easier to find workers. You're already being squeezed. Why pay for trading? Why think about more? And who can blame anyone who has that situation? It is going to be a little bit different this time, though, because of the demographics of this. I don't think we're going to have a sharp rise in the unemployment rate, which is great in really lots of ways, great for workers, but for anybody who's looking for an easy fix to their problem, it's probably not happening. Uh, when we've had other recessions, we've had a lot more younger workers. Now we've had a lot of people who just exited from the labor force. So I don't think the bigger picture will be lost this time around. At least I hope it won't. Well, it comes at a time where people of our age or older are exiting the workforce. And so we're talking about the future work. So that's really Gen Z and I've got a couple of Gen Zs. You I have one. one. And they just do things differently. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a good thing, right? That they do things differently. Um, I don't think they're necessarily looking for one job and saying I'm set. Some are, depending what they do. But they're kind of more relaxed in my view of it, uh, in terms of how they view the workplace. And some would say they're not as committed. I would disagree with that, I would think they're not necessarily just um, as committed to one employer. I think the work is where the commitment is, uh, but you know, uh, somehow there has been a change in terms of, of mindset. You don't necessarily go into this grocery store where I'm getting a job and say, well, I'm so loyal to this place. It, it's a little bit different. Um, and also, I don't think we don't know how the pandemic is going to impact them long-term. Like we talked earlier, they were home during their teens and 20s. That's different. Does that mean they'll want something different from the workplace? Uh, does it mean they'll want to see people more or less? I don't know, but I don't think we can write it off and say it didn't make a difference. So given your extensive background and experience, you embarked on this new book, Working It Out, knowing that the future of work was changing. As you did your research and you were writing the book, did anything really surprise you? Oh, that's a good question, too. Um, 
It's, I'll tell you what surprised me that I have been through my career mostly dealing with, you know, interest rates and numbers and, you know, stories for sure, like the big trends, but not really the softer issues, not really how do people feel about this, not the purpose side. And I find more and more that matters, that that's like an economic variable of the, the way people feel about things. So it was about really factoring that into the future of work. The both sides of this, you know, the realities of where interest rates are going and how many people we have coming in the workforce and the fact that where we go from here really is going to depend on feelings and good management and softer skills, which is something I probably wouldn't have focused on you know, a decade ago. Well, for sure, it is more complex than it ever has been. But what is your feeling about the future of work? Are you optimistic? I am optimistic. Absolutely. I think we're going to make use of the really cool technology. I think we're going to grow our economies. And I think we're going to make different decisions about work and leisure and balance and everything else. We're already seeing people ask for more time off. Uh, I think that's good for mental health. I think we're at a turning point in economic history. We've had them before. We've had them when we have had machinery come in, people left their homes to, to go to factories. Uh, we've had them when people left the farms. But now we're at a point where we can make a lot of choices about how and when we work. It doesn't have to be a 40-hour work week. It doesn't have to be five days. Maybe it'll be four days. And we're going to make those, those decisions. And I am optimistic that we'll make decisions that will make lives better. Well, I love the optimism and it does give me some comfort because it is challenging and hearing from our members at the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade that all employers are facing multiple challenges, uh, just trying to deal with the complexities of the future of work. But your book, Working It Out, certainly lays forward uh, a path, I think, that gives us all some hope. So, Linda, thanks so much for talking to me about this. This is great. I'm really glad that we could spend some time. Bridget, thank you so much for doing this interview. I really was thinking about who's the best person uh, to talk to me about this. And I know you're really committed to these issues around labor markets and helping business through this period. So it was a real pleasure. Bridget Anderson is president and CEO of the Vancouver Board of Trade. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Bridget and her work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to know more about the book, you can look at the links as well. You can also buy it anywhere online that sells books. If you do read it, I'm going to ask a favor and ask you to leave a rating or review on Amazon or anywhere else, but that really helps people find books these days. And of course, if you like the podcast, please leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast that helps people to find this and it helps these discussions keep going thank you so much for listening and thanks as always to stokely audio for audio production to learn more about work and the future and to see show notes go to the work and the future podcast.com you can also contact us at comments at the work and the future podcast.com the work and the future podcast with linda nazareth is a relentless economics production